Open your copy of God's Word to Romans 14. We're going to look this morning again at this chapter, all the way through chapter 15, verse 7. The story of being a church with unity, kindness, welcoming one another. Uh, someone after the sermon I preached uh, last on this, this chapter, or this section of God's Word, uh, I, I, I spent a week just saying the main point of this passage is, is repeated four times. It starts with the word welcome, really. As for the one who is weak in the faith, welcome him. It ends that way, chapter 15, verse 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So that's, that's the main point, and it's a controversial passage, but I wanted us to get the main point first. Um, and several people came up and said, you know what, well, I think our church is a welcoming church. And some of you uh, even said, you know, I don't know anybody that has not been welcomed well in our church. Um, I'm glad you've had that experience. I'm glad that is a testimony of our church. We are a welcoming church. Now, we've messed up some, too. Some of you said, well, I wasn't welcomed that well. That's the reason for the passage. We're not perfect. We don't get it all right. Uh, but the passage is here to, to guide us and encourage us, admonish us to be that welcoming family of God uh, that some of you give great testimony to. And others say, well, I'm still working on that and I'm struggling in that. Um, so that's, that's why we need to hit it again and, and get a good strategy uh, 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 that's in this passage. Um, unity does not mean uniformity. Unity does not require uniformity. We can be different in many ways. We can even disagree on many things and still be one, still be unified, still be at peace with one another. And that's what God wants us to have and what, what He wants us to do is be one. Uh, look at 1 Corinthians before we jump here. Just one quick verse, verse 10 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He, and Paul, so it's just if you've got a paper copy, you just have to go over about four pages. It says, I, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. So that's the goal. I want you to be one. I want you to be unified. I don't want to come into churches and see great division. I don't want to see you walking away from each other. I don't want to see you splitting off. I want to see you coming together as one. How do we do that? That's the question. Um, God doesn't want us to split. I mean, if God wanted us to split and just go start another church when we couldn't agree, or He wanted us to just go find another denomination or start another denomination because we couldn't agree, you would think there'd be something about that in the Bible. And yet you don't find that. You don't find God say, hey, when you can't get along, when you can't really agree, when you can't be one, I want you to split. I want you to walk away. I want you to start the true church and a better place. 
No, he said, I want you to learn to be unified. I want you to sharpen one another. I want you to come together. And this applies not only to church. This applies to families and homes and friendships and relationships. You can apply the same principles. And, and so we cry out to God and say, God, how do I do that? And God gives us, let me give you Romans 14 through 15, 7 as a strategy for that. Now, some of you are, are already thinking that's not even possible. Because some, some of you have come to some conclusions about things and you know other people disagree with you and it's, it's not in the realm of possibility as far as you're thinking that this will ever be solved in your lifetime. I'll give you an example. For example, Chick-fil-A waffle fries. To me, that's the most disgusting use of a good potato. I would not be found eating one of those unless I haven't eaten in four days. And I'm about to die. And I guarantee you there's some of you who disagree with me on that. How are we going to get along? How are we going to work this out? I don't see myself changing. And you don't see yourself changing. How will we do this? God has given us a strategy. I want to show you nine guidelines in Romans 14 through chapter 15, verse 7. Of What do you do when the disagreements arise? And we're talking about getting along with brothers and sisters in Christ. Number one, accept who God accepts. Chapter 14, the first four verses. As for the one who is weak, so you think they're weak in mind and body, whatever. As for the one who's weak in faith, welcome him, accept him. And not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains Pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Don't miss that. God's welcomed both sides. The one who eats, the one who doesn't eat. The one who abstains, the one who eats. I mean, he just keeps going back. Welcome to both. Verse 4. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. How do we get saved? By grace, right? We get saved by grace alone. None of us earns salvation. None of us gets into the family of God by doing something ourselves. Because entrance requires adoption. The Father in heaven is the one who adopts. If it helps you, say it this way. Accept who God adopts you don't get to choose your brothers and sisters in Christ God chooses by his grace by his mercy he adopts who he wants to adopt wonderful grace to be adopted by God into his family and if he's adopted you and he's adopted me then he's made us family we didn't get to choose that none of us chooses our family It's something God decides for us. He says, so now that you have them as yours, accept them. Welcome them. They are there the same way you are there, by grace. Accept who I 
accept. When you don't accept them, when I don't accept them, when we don't welcome one another, we are unwelcoming someone God has welcomed. Someone God has accepted and embraced as His own. Someone He has shed His own blood for. God says, accept who I accept. Um, but that brother, that sister, they're so weak. They just don't get it. Did you, do you notice that God accepts weak and incomplete people? Now, for some of you, that's good news. Others, you're saying, ah, I'm frustrated with that. It says, doesn't matter. Get over it. God accepts weak and incomplete people. Accept them. Welcome them. Well, some of them, they eat funny stuff. Accept them. Some of them don't eat the right stuff. Accept them. Welcome them. I accept them. I welcome them. And I want you to do the same. Um, churches that split and divide and become a mess have not learned to accept those who are weak and incomplete or even to define ourselves that way as those that God accepted ourselves. Now, sure, there, there's a whole different argument for statements of faith and doctrinal purity and all of that, which is why when you get into the, the election of elders and deacons, it says of the officers, 1 Timothy 3.10, they must first be examined. We're not talking about that here. There's an examination of leadership to know what is to be taught and proclaimed. We are to rally around. But in our relationships with one another, God says, accept one another. And you may judge a lot of the people around you as just weak and incomplete. Accept them. Welcome them. Love them. Number two, we need to move on. Be biblical, not opinionated. Verse 5. One person esteems. Here's the opinion here. One person's opinion is that one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. And I think what's being spoken of here is, is during a time where the church was still, uh, at least parts of the church, were still celebrating Old Testament feast days and not wanting to give up those days because those days were wonderful. They had three feasts a year. Well, like we have quarterly feasts here. They had three big feasts where they would take up and travel and meet together and eat together and drink together, and it was a wonderful time. And some people say, those are the best, and we can't quit doing that. Others are saying, well, I never did that anyway, and I'm fine not doing it. So you got a disagreement. And what I want to encourage you to do, or the principle to get from here, is be biblical. You, you can spend some time studying the feast days of the Old Testament and whether they're carried over or how they're carried over into the New Testament. The point is, be biblical. Do your research. Don't just throw out opinions that cause fights and disagreements. Uh, God says, who, who are you to judge? Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Here, let me give you another verse to think about that. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. 
remind them of these things and charge them before God. That's pretty strong language. You need to be reminded and you need to be charged. Something's coming up that you've got to do. Not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the, he- the hearers. Do your best to present yourself, you would think right there, to, to, to one another, not quarrelsome. No, no. Present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Strong language. Remind yourself, admonish one another to be biblical. To not be ashamed of your opinion. Get into the word, rightly handle it, do the research, and you won't, you're not done until you can present it to God as one who's not ashamed. God, I have so thoroughly researched your word on this issue. I know what I need to do. And before you, I will live unashamed. Are we to that place or are we just throwing out opinions? So be biblical, not opinionated. People come with opinions. Well, I think we ought to do this and this way. And Well, great. Uh, and... That means for me to answer that, I need to do some research. And sometimes I tell people, I need to percolate on that a little bit. Uh, we don't do percolators anymore, do we? That's a bad word. I need a curic on that for a little while. One person came to me not long after I was saved. I think it was my first year in seminary. Um, and said, you know, it's unbiblical for you to have a Christmas tree. And to celebrate Christmas. I said, oh yeah. I said, why? And they said, because of the origins of the tree and the festivities, they come from pagan origins. And you're just participating in pagan rituals by doing that. And I said, oh, that's interesting. Thank you. I'm going to have to think on that. And so I had to do a lot of research in Scripture to come to a place where I was unashamed in what I was doing at Christmas. To think, think it through, what does the Bible really say about that day? Some people want to observe that day. Some people do not want to observe that day. And we need to be fully convinced in our own mind. And the Scripture can lead us there. If we will start digging in, God wants us to get the answers. And He wants us to get the answers by going to Scripture. Um, the same is true on as the text begins to talk about days, it talks about meat, it talks about drinking. I never, I never drank anything till I was over 40 years old uh, besides sweet tea and water, you know. And uh, somebody said, you're missing the blessings of God. I said, what are you talking about? He said, you don't have communion wine. I said, never really thought about it. There are over 200 verses in the Bible on wine. That's a lot of research to look at the context of each of those and to work through it. And I had to get to a place where I was fully convinced that I'm not ashamed before God on what the position is. It's, it's, the exhortation is, and we're not going to all get there at the same time. We're going to get there. It's different times, different ways. We're going to be on different levels of this sanctification path we're on. But we want to run the race with endurance 
We want to do it in a way that we are unashamed to stand before God. God, when the issue came up, I dug deep into your word. And from there I got my direction. So that we're not tossed about by every opinion of man, but that we're firmly rooted in God's word alone. So tap in to research. All research is not equally valid either, by the way. Some people know how to go deep and some people don't. All research is not equally valid. You've got to get into God's Word. You've got to get it in the right context. And you've got to learn to think God's Word as God developed it from front to back, from the beginning to the end. Accept as who God accepts. Be biblical, not opinionated. Number three, claim Christ's Lordship as a living rationale. Look at chapter 14, 6 through 9. And you're starting to see, I'm just going through verse by verse. So that when you need this strategy, you just go back to chapter 14 and start going through verse by verse. Verse 6, the one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. Crucial. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord. Crucial. Since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord. Crucial. And gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. Well, you can see the emphasis in that section on Christ's lordship. And on the fact that whatever we do, whether we eat meat or eat vegetables, whether we drink alcohol or just drink water, whether we observe Christmas or don't observe Christmas, we are to do it in honor, in worship of God. That He's the ruler, He's the Lord, and we do it for Him, not for ourselves. That brings us... By the way, you can just see how naturally that brings us to a place of unity at some point down the road. That if, if my goal is, is peace with you, if my goal is to um, accept that you are ruled by Christ, that He's your Lord. And so I say, well, Christ has got you and He's leading you, so I, I, don't, I don't need to tweak that program. God's very capable of being Lord. So he's doing that with you. My job is to honor him. If you do the same thing, your job is to honor him. So you're constantly looking at God to honor him and respect him and worship him. I'm constantly looking at God to honor and respect him. Even though we're down here in disagreement, if we say, well, we're going to be at peace with one another and we're both running towards Christ to honor him and be under his rule, at some point we meet up at Jesus. And we are one. As long as we maintain the peace where we are now. When I went to uh, uh, Fuller Seminary for my doctorate, at the time, Fuller Seminary, Pasadena, California, was the largest seminary in America. We had, I believe, 110 denominations represented from 90 countries. Now that's diversity. Because of that kind of diversity in my classrooms, I typically had a classroom, about 50, 60 people. In that classroom, I could look around and see such rich diversity. I only found the whole 
Seven years I was there. I only found one other person that I felt were, that were like me, you know. Everybody else was always different. And so I tried to take advantage of that time. And when I could say, I'd go up to somebody, even I didn't know, I, I, I would knew, know a, a little bit about their title. I, I, I had a Catholic priest. I had Anglican rector. I had a, a non-denominational megachurch pastor. Uh, Assembly of God, um, Church of God, liberal Presbyterian, the executive pastor of Tim Keller's church, Southern Baptist pastors. I'd go up to these people and say, hey, let's do lunch. We got an hour, an hour and a half. Let's get to lunch. And we sit down for lunch. And I said, look, I just, let me lay out the ground roads, gr- rules of why I invited you. I said, first of all, just, let's, let's just say it this way. You would not be accepted in my church as a pastor. Just wouldn't. You wouldn't pass the exams. We examine people on things you don't even think about. So you would not be accepted in my church. I said, I assume I would not be accepted in yours. And they would quickly say, absolutely, after you said that. I said, so the, the playing field is... We already have these stereotypes of each other, and we're not acceptable. I said, so here's my question. What if we assumed that we were both followers of Jesus? That we loved Jesus with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and he was the one we were following. He was our ruler. He was our Lord. I said, how would that change everything? And I did, by the way, just so you know, full disclosure, I did run into somebody who said, well, I couldn't say that, that I was a follower of Jesus. I said, okay. That just told me I needed to be switch gears and get into the lane of evangelism. But it's interesting, you can be a world church leader and getting your doctorate in some sort of ministry and not even be a believer. But for the rest, they said, oh, yeah, I, I would certainly call myself one under the lordship of Christ. And he is my all in all. Well, that changed everything. And we had some of the richest, most wonderful fellowship together with brothers that greatly disagreed on theological stuff and leadership stuff. And I think that's what this passage is calling us to, that you... The person, you need to judge the person in front of you as one who does it to honor Jesus. And you do what you do to honor Jesus. And if you're both doing it to honor Jesus, that's enough. Get over the disagreements. Come to a place of peace. And learn to honor Jesus together and watch God work that out. Number four. Verses 10 through 12. Despise none more than self. Verse 10. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it's written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. God doesn't want us looking at one another and despising one another. As a matter of fact, he says, think about judgment. You know, when you think about judgment, it changes everything. 
And do you realize there's no free speech with Jesus when it comes to judgment? That God's going to be judging our words. Are we using our words to build one another up? To encourage one another? To love one another? Or are we using our words to condemn and tear people down? And he says, I want you to think of judgment as you think of one another so that you quit despising one another. Because when you get to judgment day, guess what? Nobody at judgment day is standing proud and tall. I, I was right. I knew I was right. I got it right. You're the dummy. Nobody's doing that. Nobody. What's our posture at judgment? Every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Christ is Lord. He's the only one who's right and perfect and Lord. He says, remember that. Don't despise people. Give me praise Remember, your job is to lift up the people that I have brought into the family of God. You all will come together before me. So despise none more than yourself. You are weak and you're incomplete without Christ. We all are. Number five, edify, don't destroy. Beginning at verse 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love, but by what you eat, do not destroy. It's clear to see the don't destroy, build up, contrast. The one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. Let me catch a, a few other verses here. Chapter, same chapter, verse 20 and 21. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is, in, is indeed clean. Said that twice now. It is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It's good not to eat meat or drink wine, or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Uh, edify, don't destroy. You, there's, there's two things that are just tightly held in tension here. Uh, one is that nothing's unclean. Nothing. God says, I've declared it all clean. What he drinks, what you drink, what he eats, what you eat, it's all clean. In tension with that, is love is paramount. Love is crucial. Love is the main thing. Don't destroy, don't destroy, don't destroy. Love, love, love. You're disagreeing that something's clean, something's not clean, something's one way, something. I could care less. You know, um, we want to argue whether certain foods better for us than other foods. It's amazing that God has made our bodies in such a way that they can tolerate just about anything. I mean, you could eat bugs. You could eat weeds. You could drink disgusting smoothies and, and still survive. And God says, I could care less what you eat or drink. I want you to love one another. 
quit just, just you're destroying one another over these discussions. And they just need to stop. Why do you even bring up the subject? You go to somebody's house, you know, the scriptural principles God says to his disciples when he sent them out, says, I want you to go into a house and I want you to stay there. He says, here's one rule. Whatever they put in front of you, that's what you eat and drink. Whatever. He says, that's just courteous. Why do you even say stuff like, well, I wouldn't put that in my body. Hmm. I would never be found drinking that. God says, get over it. Why couldn't you just say, you know, I'm feeling like I just need to stay with a salad today. I feel like, you know, I'm just not feeling like I could do anything but water. Thank you very much. And just let it go. Instead of despising and destroying the efforts and the time somebody's put into something else, it says, let it go. Edify. Don't destroy we sometimes want to hinder growth look back at Romans 12 verse 10 so just a couple chapters back what a cool verse love one another with brotherly affection outdo one another in showing honor there's the principle instead of dividing and disagreeing just work hard at outdoing one another at accepting them and loving them and honoring them, and it'll be okay. Um, now, some people, just, just by word of caution, some people want to use verse 21 that I just read. It's not good to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Some people want to use that verse to say the strong in the faith should just do whatever the weak in front of you want you to do and that's not what that verse is saying because that would go against so many passages in scripture that talk about growth God doesn't want a weak church God wants a strong church that verse is talking about how to love people who are weak and incomplete and you love them by not putting them down you find ways to build them up even the Apostle Paul, when he t talks about his own example, you can look at it, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I'll just read it real quick. Um, notice notice the, uh, the strong language here on when. 1 Corinthians 9, um, verse 20 says, To the Jews I became a Jew in order to win. So I wanted to win the Jews. To those who are under the law, I became as one that was under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those outside the law became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win. Those who are outside the law, verse 22, to the, to the weak, same language as Romans, to the weak I became weak. Why? That I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people that I, by all means, might save some. Paul never wanted to leave us in our weakness he wants to move us from weakness to strength. He wants to build up the church. The focus is on love, 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 love. How can I do that? How can I love them and make them stronger than where they are? And at times, it's, it's me giving up my lifestyle to get right where their lifestyle is and then show them a step up. Show them how to move forward. And it's always in love. It's always with 
grace. Um, God wants to grow us up. Number six, verses 17 through 19, follow after peace and more peace. Verse 17, I said, maybe the crucial go-to passage in this verse, in this whole passage, verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. You hear that over and over. Um, you know, anytime you bring up a disagreement, you don't typically end up with that peaceful, easy feeling. And so God is saying, so, so why do you do that? Why not pursue, because the kingdom of God is not about what you eat and drink. And it's like God saying, I already told you, I could care less what you eat and drink. I've designed your bodies to handle it. The kingdom of God is about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Why are you not pursuing that? Follow after that. Not stirring up disagreements about these other things. Let's seek the kingdom of God. And by the way, that's difficult. Instead of being agreed over what we're going to eat and drink tonight, what if the goal was, yeah, it really doesn't matter what we eat or drink. My goal as I meet with you is going to be on how to build you up in the righteousness of Christ. How to be at peace with you as a brother or sister in Christ. How to be filled with the Holy Spirit unto joy. You see, that's edification that takes work. Where you stop and you, you start, how do, how do I, I do that with someone? And God says, that's what the kingdom of God's like with us getting together and enjoying righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Number seven, God and doubts are sufficient guides. Chapter 14, 22 through 23 says, The faith that you have, but keep between yourself and God. Interesting. I'm going to try to unpack that for you. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself or what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Now, the principle I gave you is God in doubts are sufficient gods. I think the faith that he's talking about here is not saving faith. He's talking about a faith that we all have in the rightness or wrongness of something. A faith in righteousness. What is right? What is wrong? We all have a certain belief system. And he says, that faith which you have in that this is right and the other thing is wrong... That's between you and God. It should come out of God's word, yes. And God should be convicting you that your statement of faith, you, what you believe is, to be, is right and what you believe is wrong, should be so directed by God in his word that it's between you and God. And when people interfere with that, between you and God, you're thinking in your heart, in your mind, that's right, that's wrong. And if there's ever a time you can't do that, 
God says, then don't do it. So well, I'm just not sure what I should do here. I'm not sure what is right and what is wrong. Then God says, stop. The doubt is sufficient to put it in park and do more research. Because you need to be fully convinced you are honoring God in your choices for right and wrong. Keep that close. That is very important. That's the principle that God wants us to have there. Uh, when our conscience bothers us, I'm just not sure this is right, I'm not sure this is right. God says, well, then don't. There's your God. Don't do it. You should only step forth into what is right. And you determine the rightness through God and His Word. All right, number eight, humility without self-pleasure goes a long way. Chapter 15, first three verses. We who are strong, so it's interesting Paul put himself in that category, the strong one. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproach you fail on me. All right, so here's the principle again. I want you to spend your time building one another up. Uh, literally, uh, verse 2 is, is a phrase here of, of doing what is for the edifying, edification of those in front of you. I want you to build one another up. If you're strong, you should be building up the weak. There's a sense in which if you're weak, you should be seeking to build up and encourage the strong to encourage you. It, it goes both ways. Um, there should be a concern for edification. Verse 2, for his good. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good. It didn't say please our neighbor because our neighbor wants to be pleased. I mean, who doesn't want a back massage and a good meal today? He didn't say do that. For their good, for their edification, to, to, to build them up in Christ. And then he uses Christ as a, his pattern. He says, Christ did not walk around this earth trying to please himself. In other words, he didn't say, hey, I need to back massage in the meal. He uses the example of Christ on the cross. He says, he hung on the cross. He, said, he was king. He could do anything he wanted to to please himself. He chose not to please himself. He chose to build up his church. I want you with that mindset of not thinking, what pleases me? Rather, you know, if I got my preference, this is what I want. He said, no, no. If I got my preference, we want to get you to the place my preference would be to build you up. That was Christ's example. He didn't look for pleasure, self-pleasure. He looked to build others up. And then the last one, number nine. Instruction from the Scriptures bring harmony. Verses 4 through 7. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might find have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. It's the first time I think in my life I've ever really gotten verse uh, 4 in its proper context. 
You've seen the context now from chapter 14, 1 all the way down. And the context is conflict with one another and how to be at peace with one another, how to get along when we disagree. And he gets to his conclusion and he says, ultimately, the Scriptures were written to bring you harmony. Good doctrine, Jesus says in John 17, unifies. Doctrine was never designed to split and to divide. But if we are all together doing research to be unashamed and looking to Christ and getting into His Word alone, the instructions, He says, of the Scripture will lead you to beautiful harmony. Because we all together want to submit to Christ. I want to be subdued. Many times I open my Bibles, I pray and read the Scriptures each day, and I say, Lord, let me be subdued to Your Word. Let me be subdued to your reign. Rule over me and use your scriptures for that purpose. And they bring us, when we're all doing that, it brings us to a beautiful harmony. Well, there's a lot there because this is a big problem. And it takes a lot to handle it. I'm going to give you one philosophical statement and I'll, I'll be quiet, okay? Um, philosophical statement is this. It's just profound that no one has lived longer with me than me. That's profound, isn't it? I've lived with myself longer than anybody. What does that mean? That means my tendency is to look out for me more than anybody because nobody knows me better than me. Nobody has been with me more than me. My focus in this world many times is me. So for me to be at peace with you is going to require two things. For me really to be at peace with you when I want so much of me in this world requires two things. requires effort to get out of me and at peace with you. It requires effort and it requires strategy. Because our tendency is to be self-absorbed. If I'm going to be unified, if I'm going to be a part of a people, part of a church family, it requires effort and it requires strategy. And that's what you get in Romans 14 and 15. is the constant encouragement to put in the time, the effort, and the strategy on how to do it. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for Dealing with the big stuff. So, so many people don't have the tools that you've just given us. And so they're constantly grumbling and complaining and fighting and disagreeing. And their life is from one misery to the next. With you, you set the prisoner free. And we can run in the freedom of righteousness peace and joy filled with your spirit. Father, forgive us for all the times we've split and run from and divided and didn't put in the effort or apply the strategy of your word. Forgive us. And make us a people that we hear the testimony over and over and over again. 
how the saints of God who come into this place are welcomed and accepted no matter how weak or how incomplete they may sound, seem. And Lord, may it be our strong confidence that we would never look at someone else and say, I have no need of you if that person is a brother and sister in Christ. For we need one another and we need to live in harmony. We ask for this mercy and grace in Jesus' name. Amen.